0: Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact on the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash V-O-S-D. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash V-O-S-D.
1: My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough.
2: How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education
3: possible?
1: Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance.
3: We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids.
1: We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something.
3: It should be an excellent school in every community.
1: Enjoy the show. Well, I'm Scott Lewis from The Voice of San Diego.
3: And I'm Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance. Hi, Laura. Hello, Scott.
1: Hey, um, do you ever find yourself in this situation where you're... Um, you're telling your child probably not since you have older kids but you're saying like you better finish that hamburger before i let you have ice cream <laughs> yeah <laughs> said like,
3: that many times through the tell i'm not working anymore but yeah used to i just
1: yeah. i I, find, I was doing that recently uh sitting there I'm like, you better finish that hamburger. I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I doing? I'm like, F- finish that junk food before you get more junk food. <laughs> right. It's just, it's like, uh, like my desire to get in protein has reverted just to the point where it's like, I just get it any in his face. Any form of protein. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I have you ever heard of any good ways to, you know, like change some, you know, kids' diet? Like, it's, it's just, it's, it's no. brutal. You right? know,
3: like the advice you get is. To lay off, basically, and just yeah. put, put good food in front of them, uh, and th- they'll figure it out over time to eat it. I guess I've had that success somewhat with my daughter, who used to be super picky, yeah. and has um, just added more foods over time with yeah. being confronted with them. But we definitely use that those leverage strategies it's also. Just,
1: it's so funny <laughs> seeing that, like, finish that pizza before you get cake.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Gosh.
1: All right, we've got a special show this week. Um, You ever heard of the County Office of Education or the County uh, Board of Education? We are uh, going to help you understand what those are. They're going to be on your ballot if you're in the San Diego uh, County region. Most of the region, anyway, of uh, San Diego is going to have a decision to make about the County Office of Education. So you can um, uh, listen to this and become more informed. Uh, Just just to give you some background, now, this is not necessarily a school district like you might think, like uh, San Diego Unified School District, Poway Unified School District, Sweetwater. All these places are actual districts with a superintendent and a board that manage a bunch of schools.
3: Within a specific geography.
1: Exactly. Uh, The County Office of Education covers the entire county, is run by a superintendent whose job is overseen uh, and approved by a board of education. But unlike some of the school districts, the board of education, the five-member board of, that, uh, of the county uh, board of education does not necessarily do a lot of the same sort of policy approvals and individual uh, appointment approvals and other things like what, the, what, say, the San Diego Unified School District does. Mm-hmm. It's a $600 million budget at the county office of education. They do have schools, though.
3: They do. They they run uh, court and community schools, and they contract as well with some schools for special populations. Yeah. And they also have one uh, rather large charter school with uh, over 1,600 students. Which one is it. that? It's called uh, Literacy Charter School. Oh. And, an, uh, and at the secondary level, it's called Liberty Charter School. And it's Headquartered in El Cajon, but I think it's, I can't quite tell. I think it's mainly online.
1: Right. So the County Board of Education and the County Office of Education, the County Office in particular does a lot of things. And it's run by the uh, Superintendent, Randy Ward. And we're going to talk about, uh, by the way, his future, which is, I think, one of the most interesting parts of this discussion going on about the future of the Board of Education. But also the, the County Office of Education also pools legal resources for school districts. So, for example, if, if uh, school districts face lawsuits all the time, as you can imagine, uh, and the, uh, the county office sort of coordinates the legal pool, the sort of legal fund for a lot of these. And if you're a small school district and you uh, need IT support or other sort of support that you can't pull off yourself, uh, the County Office of Education helps both create solutions for that and, and, and support Uh, for different agencies.
3: They do that. They also provide um, some uh, professional development and uh, curriculum support for school districts. Um, Sometimes they have authority from the state to provide that service and some extra funding from the state. Um, Sometimes they get grants to do that work. They also play a role in out-of-school time programming across the county and a big role in early education, actually, a really important role uh, contracted with first five San Diego, to do our quality rating and improvement system. We've talked about that before with potentially a much expanded role in that area coming if uh, a proposal by the governor is passed by the legislature.
1: Help me explain. What do you mean?
3: On the early education side? Yeah. So the governor is proposing to um, eliminate transitional kindergarten, eliminate our state preschool program and combine the dollars that had been going into those programs and block granted out to school districts. In his latest proposal released just late last week, there are a lot of provisions that empower the County Office of Education to oversee those block grants. um, And also for school districts that don't feel like they have the wherewithal to administer preschool for kids, they can um, use the County Office of Education to do that work on their behalf. So it would be a a really substantial expansion of the powers of the county office if this this portion of the governor's proposal passes.
1: So that means that then that, like she said, is run through the county superintendent of education. And that job is overseen, of course, by the County Board of Education. And you'll find, and I think here are some very interesting things about uh, um, what Greg Robinson, the current chair, the current president of the Board of Education, thinks about the supervisor and what um, the future of that role should be. So th- if those grants are important, then the person administering those grants is going to be very important, and then therefore that person <laughs> and who that is will be very important. And so we tried to set up a debate, uh, between Greg Robinson, the president, and his challenger Mark Powell, who's being supported by the California Charter Schools Association, and uh, and in a sort of surprisingly um, uh, interesting investment in in this kind of uh, remote or um, not really often discussed position in local politics, has suddenly become an interesting debate. There's actually four seats up. We asked Mark Powell to join Greg Robinson in this debate, and he refused. And so, more about how that worked out after our number of the week.
3: Our number of the week is 1,600. That's the number of students that are at any one time enrolled in uh, San Diego County Office of Education schools. But that, that number, which sounds you know relatively small, is actually um, deceiving because there are about 12,000 students who cycle through County Office of Education schools over the course of a school year because their schools um, are there mainly for kids who are involved in the juvenile justice system Kids who've been expelled from their local schools, and so they, they give them a place to go to finish up their school year or to, um, to be while their appeals of their um, expulsion are underway, or if they're involved in juvenile schools to um, get them education while they are um, part of the juvenile justice system.
1: We also have a correction from a previous number of the week.
3: Yeah, I left out a couple of important words when I said the number of the week um, on our English learner um, podcast. I said that 75% of middle and high school students are long-term English learners, and of course that's not the case. It's 75% of high school and middle school English learners are long-term English learners, meaning those English learners, three quarters of them, have been classified as English learners for seven years or more. So, uh, sorry about that, everyone.
1: The point was of obviously to highlight how they get stuck there.
3: They do. They uh, they get uh, classified that way, and they cannot pass the test that allows them to um, become unclassified as English learners. And we need to, and and actually, the districts and schools are mobilized to figure out ways to help kids pass out of the English learner status more quickly.
1: All right. And our what's working this week?
3: What's working is John Spiegel, who's the science uh, leader in the County Office of Education, I just wanted to celebrate the great work that he and his staff are doing to help the schools and districts in San Diego County implement the next generation science standards. We talked about these with Trish Williams in our, I think it was our third podcast. These are new standards just for the science area. They're really changing in a dramatic way um, how schools are going to be teaching science both introducing it in the elementary level and um, and changing it for the high schools. And John and his staff are providing lots of professional development opportunities, lots of online resources, so that I think our county is really going to be on the forefront of implementing these great new standards as a result.
1: Okay, we're joined in the great Voice of San Diego studio, downtown San Diego, with uh, one of the candidates for the county school board. This is the County Board of Education And uh, there are five seats and four of them are up for election and and we were Pleased to be, uh, our our invitation to debate was accepted by Greg Robinson, the uh, uh, educator, the trustee that represents District 1 of the County Board of Education. His opponent, Mark Powell, uh, refused to come. Uh, There's no simple way to say it. Uh, I'm going to try to call him later and see if we can get some perspective on on why that was, but he did not want to come. He cited some reasons why we can get into those. But first of all, let's just get into uh, who you are, Greg. Welcome.
0: Okay. Well, first off, I'm always much better debating myself than
1: other people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm, you're like me, probably tootle around the, the garage and you're arguing with yourself, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the thing is, I usually lose when I'm doing
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. All right. So, Greg, um, talk to us first of all about who you are. You're a teacher in in the community college system, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I am currently a professor of sociology in Grossmont uh, College. Um, I have taught in a number of institutions of higher education. Uh, I've taught in the University of Texas system, University of Maryland system. Uh, But I've also taught at the K through 12. I was a substitute teacher actually in San Diego Unified Mm -hmm. uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I got my PhD out of uh, UCSD, where I worked with Bud Meehan, and the sociology of education. Uh, I've spent my life in education and particularly focused around the needs of the most vulnerable children, low-income children, uh, children from disadvantaged backgrounds, English language learners, that sort of thing.
1: All right. And so you are, um, this is your what? How many terms have you been on the Board of Education? Let me count of one, two, three, one. All right. <laughs> uh,
0: almost one. Right. Uh, I'm in three quarters through my first term.
1: And you're the chair.
0: I am chair. I think they, I think we use the term president.
1: All right. Is yeah, that, chair president. Is that thing. a rotating or do you, do you?
0: Yeah, it's more or less rotating. Okay. Uh, I came in, however, when the previous chair had to resign because she moved from her district. And at the time, I was vice president, so I simply assumed that role. Uh, but then I was elected again uh, this last uh, January.
1: All right. In the previous segment, we talked about the um, actual things, some of the things the County Office of Education does and the, and the County uh, Board of Education does. But just um, give me a distinction about what, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the same as a, as a school district that with a superintendent. you as a board of education have a few limited things you guys can influence, right? And what are those?
0: Uh, the superintendent, right. <laughs> primarily. Yeah, people often confuse the county board with uh, San Diego Unified. Um, one, we're, we're not. But two, a county office of education, a board, has much more restricted control than a traditional district does. We have no say over personnel. Um, the standard line an awful lot of people get told when they get, they get elected to a board is that is you've got one employee uh, that's usually an exaggeration for district folks, but it's not for county. We really have just one employee, and that's the superintendent. Uh, the other thing that we have more formal control over is the budget, uh, that all budget items come to us for approval. Uh, and then finally, we do have a say formally over policy and program, now that tends to be uh, kind of a gray
1: area. Now, just sorry to interrupt. just one of the things that's interesting though you don't you don't get to approve labor deals that no, come through. So, that. You, so you have say of over budget items, but not necessarily labor negotiations at all, yeah. which is different, much yep. different than in school districts.
3: Yeah, maybe say a little bit more. So the county office of education does manage some schools directly and contracts with a few schools, but maybe that's not the bulk of your responsibilities. Could you yeah. describe it a little more?
0: Well, we don't manage other districts unless it's a peculiar circumstance. I mean, we'll come in, uh, as we did, down in uh, Sweetwater if there was a disastrous situation where all the board members basically got indicted. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very unusual circumstance. Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we do manage the county schools, uh, the community schools and the court and juvenile justice. And those are the most vulnerable children in San Diego County.
1: Yeah, so for instance, one of the schools that the County Office of Education jointly um, manages is the Monarch School, the Absolutely. School for the Homeless uh, in, right. in the East Village, Barrio Logan area. And, uh, and that's a public-private partnership with that.
0: Yeah, the education is provided solely by us, by the county. But there are other facilities and other programs that are, uh, that are instituted through that. They have kind of wraparound services, not merely for the children, but for the families that go there as well. And I think that's a really important point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get into the educational philosophy later, but it's that wraparound services and the whole child that, for me, is particularly important.
1: And when you describe that emergency financial role of the county office of education and the board of education, what you're talking about is is the the most extreme version. Would be if a school district went insolvent, it would be the county office of education that largely coordinated the receivership that would follow. A sort of um, a loan from the government of the state, but also uh, some serious sort of authoritarian takeover of the of the of the district if it gets if it gets bad well
0: there's one step before that I mean before it actually a school district can go to the state and ask for help financially and at that point then they uh, appoint a receiver who comes in uh, an agent who just takes over and really is kind of the dictator but short of that when a school district is unable to meet its economic responsibilities then the superintendent we need to back up a little bit because the board has no say right. over that actually it's right. the superintendent oh. who will appoint someone, for example, what they did down in San Ysidro. Um, and that situation, the the, the county office in the person of the superintendent, and the person he appoints, goes down, sets up somebody, gives them advice, and they have kind of not final, well, they have final set, they could have veto over it. But it's not the same thing as when you appoint a kind of receiver that comes in from the state.
3: So are you saying that the county board of education didn't have a role in that um, in that support for San Cedar School District? None. They had no say in that whatsoever,
0: <laughs> The way we would have liked to.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into that a little right. bit. So um, the county superintendent right now is a man named Randy Ward. Mm-hmm. He's been there um, about 12 years or so. Yeah, about 12. And he... Before I came. And he has... Uh, uh, his contract is up pretty regularly. I think you have some pretty strong views that maybe it's time for a change.
0: Well, I do, um, but Randy himself has said he wants to leave. Um, usually, we have an evergreen contract which gets renewed for three years uh, continually. Um, but about uh, about three and a half years ago, Randy said he wanted to retire. Uh, he wanted an unusual four-year extension on his contract, and then he said he was going to leave. Um, and so, I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Randy Ward. He is a dynamic, very bright, articulate spokesperson, and you couldn't ask for a better person to represent the county in the general community in a presentation or a discussion of an issue. But his approach to education is different than mine, um, and he tends to be somewhat authoritarian and particularly in regards to teachers. Uh, Many of the reforms that he's instituted I think are very good ones, but they've been forced down the throats of the teachers without any concern or feedback or even participation. Like what? Well, for example, uh, he's taken a large number of our schools. Well, first of all, let me just back up. Uh, Probably the uh, the most impactful one was during the financial crisis, um, Randy decided to reorganize the entire county. He fired every single principal under the county's jurisdiction and allowed them to reapply for their positions.
1: And let's describe, these are the 60 or so schools, like like Monarch, like these other ones. San Pasquale
0: Academy. We have numerous facilities. On the juvenile justice system, large number of small little uh, uh, places for kids who've been expelled. And when I say we're the most, we educate the most vulnerable. If a child gets expelled from San Diego Unified or from Oceanside, they come to us. Okay. And so Randy reorganized that by way of firing all the principals. If you know anything about education, you know the day-to-day security of a teacher is based in their principal, and it completely disoriented, and put an awful lot of fear in the part of those teachers. And I kept asking Randy, please just go out and talk to the teachers. Reassure them. But unfortunately, I mean, he was so used... To- oh, one other thing you should know about Randy, he's been that fiscal agent who comes on, uh, the past who came in. Yeah, in,
1: in Oakland, uh, there was a bankrupt uh, school district there. He took it over.
0: Exactly. Not only Oakland, but Compton as well. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who comes in and is used to giving orders... Not listening to feedback, because he has to. He has to get things done uh, quickly. But that kind of mindset, which is very good in a place that's in complete chaos and economic meltdown, I think is inappropriate in other situations. What was
3: the rationale for firing all of the principles? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh there, he wasn't satisfied with the level and form of education that was going on. Uh, there had been a FICMAT report which is an agency that comes in and gives reports on the status of the, uh, of your district or county. Um, and there's some criticisms of the economic management. Um, they thought that there should have been more consolidation of some of the schools and they weren't uh, they weren't impressed by the level of education in some areas. So he then ended up I mean, I agreed with most of his reforms, but the way he went about that, I mean, to fire every single principal and then allow them to reapply for their job, even if you keep three quarters of them, it's needlessly disrespectful. Oh, so
1: he did keep them. He didn't know he didn't keep all of them. I think he kept less than half. Well, see, one, one of the things that's interesting about this in, the, in San Diego Unified, again, a separate district yeah. in the city of San Diego, second largest school district in the, in the state, Cindy Martin, the superintendent there, has said that her primary focus in, in sort of bringing quality schools to a neighborhood is to bring in new principles. And and she's changed dozens of principles out and to a lot of the same sort of concerns because her point is like, and I think a lot of the point is, you know, teachers, there's a lot of restrictions on what you can change. And, you know, obviously there's a tremendous amount of laws about, about what they get to do and where they get placed. But she said, "You know, principals we can we can work with and change." And she has dozens, and and uh-huh. that's been there. That's actually what they point to when you say, "What are you doing to make schools better?" So I guess you know why why might it be okay in that situation, but not with what Randy did? Sure. I
0: mean, one, you have to look at the number of people who were fired. The percentage. I mean, he fired every single
1: principal. Two. So you're talking about that sort of technique of firing that, all and then asking them to reapply.
0: yeah to reapply, um, and. Well, it is a technique. I mean, when it's percentage, I mean, when you do every single principle in an area, I mean, it's different than doing it gradually over time. It's different than doing 20% or 50%. Every single one of them is done like that. That's designed to create emotional, if not educational, insecurity and chaos. What did you see in the year that followed that? Oh, teachers were upset and scared. They didn't know what was going on. Morale plummeted as a result of that. Um, but let's go back to the central point. Yes, I, I have respect for Cindy Martin and what, she, uh, what she's doing. So many of the education reforms, not just what, it's how you accomplish them. And that's what I was saying earlier. Most of the reforms that Randy has, uh, Randy's the superintendent, has instituted, I support. But it's the form of doing that. It's the style. It's the lack of concern about the impact as you bring it on, uh, on scale, We've seen that so often in education. Um, If you go back to the Burson years in San Diego Unified, I'm sure you're familiar with that, and you take a look at the criticism that comes from people like Hugh and Bud and one of my advisors, uh, Linda Darling-Hammond up in Stanford, most of the reforms were supported, but the style of bringing it in was so needlessly destructive. And that's what we've seen in uh, the county as well, is that by bringing in so quickly without bringing in the feedback of the teachers and the people who on the line, Mind, the good reforms get lost in the conflict and the chaos.
3: So I'm I'm hearing that most of your um, comments so far about Randy Ward have to do with his administration as superintendent of this set of court and community schools that the county office of education manages. That's one portion of the total management responsibilities of the county office of education. What are your thoughts on the on the other side where they provide professional development and support and um, uh, back office. Uh, for smaller districts, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, so one of the things, for instance, a school district a school district might be too small to implement a full technology system, but if they have an idea and the county office can come in and, and coordinate their resources with a bunch of others and, and help them literally manage their IT or something.
0: Absolutely. A service
3: ag- aggregator for yeah. small districts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are three major areas that uh, the county has responsibility. I'm talking the county office, not just some, solely the board. I mean, one is the education of the kids we talked about. Two is the services we provide uh, prov- for those school districts, and particularly, as you point out, the smaller districts who don't have the resources because they don't have the size to be able to afford those. And the third is the kind of um, organizational feedback and overview that we have over those. So in terms of those services that pro- uh, we provide the school districts, um, we see the, some of the most Major reforms in education history in the state of California. The new funding mechanism, uh, the, the local control funding formula. Uh, there is a p- plan that each school district must provide in a response to this new funding mechanism that comes to the county. For, well, to the yeah to the county office for approval. Uh, we've got a whole new curriculum that's being instituted. The Common Core. Uh, the county has provided training for teachers in those areas across this. Sc- uh, across the whole area, so those services are particularly important that we provide, and we're taking on more and more of those responsibilities. Uh, I, I was just looking at some legislation coming through Sacramento. Pre-K education is the is going to be block-granted in many ways that the adult education uh, has been in the past.
3: Well, that's proposed by the governor. It has It's passed proposed yet. by the governor. <laughs> it
0: looks like it's pretty likely going to pass. At least that's that's the rumors that I've heard. Um, but that then means the county will also assume responsibility for overseeing those administration facilities. Yes. So there's just an awful lot again, of responsibilities the county has,
1: and increasingly so. Again, that's a responsibility of the county superintendent. Though, yes, and yes. Not, but you get to decide who that is. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let me ask you. So we both have in front of us this mailer <laughs> that came from the California Charter Schools Association touting your opponent, Mark Powell. Yes, and, um, obviously it seems like the charter school uh, network has gotten kind of fired up to get involved in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, and the role you guys play in charter schools is as a sort of backstop if a school district um, doesn't approve a charter uh, application, they can appeal to the County uh, Office of Education and then to you in particular, the school, the County Board of Education. That's one thing you guys get mm-hmm. to do is mm-hmm. is weigh in on that decision. Um, there was that famous case of uh, the Thrive Public School that in, in the city of San Diego got... The staff for the school district was was for it, uh, but the school board rejected it. It went to appeal to you. You rejected it. It went to the State Board of Education where it was finally approved. What is your opinion of charter schools and this sort of concern from the Charter Schools Association?
0: Okay. I think charter schools play an important and vital role in educational reform, but not the only role. And I think we've seen that there have been abuses of that system like any other. And we've seen here in San Diego County, I mean, situations where small school districts are chartering schools, you know, 50 miles away, which there's virtually no oversight. And we've seen some of those closed. Now, you mentioned one particular charter, um, but there are dozens of those. And I'm concerned about the oversight of those. If those schools are offering an alternative that is effective for the children, that has to be supported. But we need to have the same Measuring stick to evaluate them, and I think there hasn't been enough of those evaluations. And we've seen some of the chaos that's resulted in of that. Some of those charter schools have uh, have gone bankrupt, leaving kids adrift, including in the San Diego Unified School District. Uh, we've seen some unscrupulous people who are making large amounts of money, and then the uh, the schools go uh, go under. So it's a complicated situation. Um, I do support charter schools when I can see that they are doing the effective job. I mean, I- actually, I know the research on this. And it's kind of, uh, it's complicated. Um, There are good charter schools, there are bad charter schools. There are good public traditional schools, there are bad ones. Where it seems to be the most consistent is that charter schools do have been very helpful with low-income students in inner-city areas. A study out of Stanford, the Credo Institute, seem to indicate that. But you've always got to be careful on those in terms of the data. But there does seem to be indications that that is an effective job they're doing. So I support them in those kinds of circumstances if they're doing the job they're really designed for but not an ulcer. I'm not a blank, uh, I'm not a rubber stamp for charter schools. And I'm afraid that's that's exactly what the charter school folks are looking for. If they're looking for an engaged partner who really want to have put the kids first, I'm with them on that. But if they're just looking for anybody who will just rubber stamp them as they come through, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that.
3: Well, yeah. And what's um, important in the whole concept of chartering is number one, when uh, that the schools have to apply for a charter, so it's a very rigorous process, and it's intended to be, and that's an important uh, moment for the public, in the person of the or um, as represented by the school board or the county board of education, um, to weigh in on whether that school should exist. And then the second thing is ongoing accountability. So um, I, I hear you that that's an important role that you play in that decision about whether to authorize charters. So what's what's your view about? the County Office of Education's um, role as an appeal spot for charters that are rejected by local school boards?
0: I mean, that's what I was saying earlier. It's one of the, the major functions that we have. This is as an oversight for charter schools. We also have, we have kind of active as an appellate court. If a kid gets expelled, uh, they can come to us and we can force them back into schools as well. So charter schools are an important part of what we do. But a small part. I mean, there's so many yeah. other areas they're engaged in. Have you ever? And I'm a little concerned that this debate is only around charter schools, which is maybe you know five, ten percent of what we do. Have you but ever? But let me just back up yeah. and go back to the issue of charter schools in this particular case. Remember that those school districts, uh, when they get uh, get turned down, they come to us. Our staff does an, uh, an independent evaluation of the programs involved, based upon the criteria set by the state. We have never turned down a charter school that wasn't told by our staff that it was not a viable opportunity for those kids. Never.
1: Have you ever uh, accepted an appeal and sort of reversed the school district's decision?
0: Not since I've been on. There's only been about three or four, because I've only been on three years now. Um, we have approved the... Uh, the, the reapplication for Literacy First, which is a charter school operated through the county. Um, most of the ones that we've come through, however, have not been uh, been supported. And that's on, I'll be quite honest with you. It's solely on the basis of what our staff comes up with. I mean, you're asking, I mean, the charter school folks are asking us to overrule the experts who have an autonomous uh, say over this, and the I staff that
1: is overseen by the superintendent Randy Ward. That's right. Whose job you do want to replace?
0: Yeah, of course. So, and Randy Ward is not uh, opposed to charter schools, as no. you probably well know. Yeah. And this is a group of very professional people who work very hard. Now, you, and especially remember, we have no economic interest in turning down charter schools. Quite the opposite. If we approve charter schools, they do come out of the county, and we get a little more money as a result of that. So the fact that our staff then turns them down, given the fact that there is a financial incentive to approve, that these are strongly regulated and overseen by, not by me, or even by the superintendent, it's by those folks in the area. How would you feel sitting on a board and your staff is telling you, it ain't going to work? Yeah.
1: Let me ask you. One of the reasons Mark said Mark Powell said he didn't want to come in today was because he still felt burned from a 2012 campaign experience in which the American Federation of Teachers um, attacked him, and it turned out to be a false attack. But um, uh, it was it still burns him, and he and he says just because you're part of that network of the American Federation of Teachers that that was abhorrent to him. That the AFT did get more involved in this in this sort of. Uh, Board, You're a member of the AFT, and I think three others of the five-member um, board are a member of the AFT. Why do you think the AFT cares about this board? Because they care
0: about education. There is no financial or professional interest whatsoever on the part of the AFT in these boards. doesn't represent a single teacher in those areas. doesn't get one dime out of that. The AFT is concerned, like any other professional organization, the quality of education— and that organization, as most teacher organizations, believe that the, that education starts with the highest quality teacher in the classroom, and that's what they're committed to. I mean, if you're asking in general about, yeah, I mean that I have no idea. This was I, I was not even around sure. when the last time around that he got burned by that supposedly. Um, so I wish he was here. I'd like to talk to him about that. But my. Yeah, my membership in a teacher's organization, I'm a teacher. You bring a teacher in here, and we're all going to be a member of some kind of teacher organization. If you have problems with that, you have problems with teachers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, and that really bothers me. There seems to be a focus these days on making teachers scapegoats, that the teachers aren't really doing the job they should. And that we really need to do is just find a bigger stick to hit t- teachers with. That's not my approach to education, and that's why I am on this board and why we're very strong, very hard to make sure we get the highest quality education that recognizes the importance of teachers in the process.
3: Mm-hmm. I, so I know the AFT represents, to my knowledge, only one uh, – teachers in one school district in San Diego County, which is Poway um, Unified. Do, does AFT represent the teachers in the court and community schools? Nope. They're represented by the CTA? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so is the – I have sort of a – maybe it's a related question, but I've been curious about why it is that so many um, county board of education mem- uh, members are from community colleges. How, where did that come from?
0: Because of the interest in the, uh, the education of these kind of kids. I mean, we at community college teach uh, we <laughs> we at the community college teach precisely the kind of children that are uh, being educated in uh, the county offices, foster youth, low income, English language learners, mm. and we come with that kind of a commitment to those kinds of students and that passion for education for those kinds of students is, is exactly the reason why I got involved, and I know. Almost everybody else on that board has that same passion for those kinds of students. Sure.
1: I think when you when you describe teachers as, as being used as a scapegoat, there's another sort of spin on that that is like, well, we're trying to find, recruit and retain the, the highest quality teachers. As you said, that's the foundation mm-hmm. of a good education and and so i think there's there is some concern and some uh hope that you could both recruit and retain them and then also incentivize and pay them what they're worth but then also evaluate and and either counsel or sort of move uh, poor performing teachers out of the system mm-hmm. um that's a much sort of nicer way to say some of the things that you you described there is there any part of that that you take issue with
0: not really i mean that The key is getting the high-quality people into education. We've seen that comparatively. Finland is the classic example of this. Places where teachers are respected, financially fairly treated, and have status in the community in which they come from the top of their classes are the places where students do best. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the focus on teachers as a scapegoat, what I mean by that is we know that there is a... Teachers are part of the educational process. But let's back up a little bit. A good education, it's kind of, I always think of it as kind of like a four-legged chair. It's the focus on the student, but also the parent. And this is just basic sociology of education. The key is, uh, is what happens not in the school, but at home. And for me, that's an important part of why I'm committed to education. Things like Proposition I, which is a minimum wage ordinance. This is an educational initiative as well. If a parent has to work two or three jobs then they don't have the time to spend with their kids at home. That is an education issue. The fact, let me just, let me back up and tell you about a teacher at Monarch School I was speaking to. He said, look, this is what it's like to teach around here. I have a little girl, fourth grade class. When he leaves, mom comes and picks her up, takes her uh, in the area around the school. This is in Barrio Logan. Till it gets dark, walks her into an alley and puts her to bed at night underneath a parked truck. Hmm. When you have growing economic inequality, when you have, and we've been told on our board, there are over 22,000 children in San Diego County that are technically homeless. That's what I mean by the whole child and the whole structure. It's not just what even happens in the classroom. Yes, that teacher is the, the most important part of what we know schools control. Exactly. But we are... Asking teachers to shovel uh, water against an oncoming tide, if we at the same time we have children like that, growing economic inequality, poverty, the lack of effective language learning in the schools, English is a second language, incredibly important part of what we need to be doing. My goal is to make English language learning. The county used to be a leader in that area, and I'm working with Alicia Munoz and Alupi Gonzalez, who's also up for re-election. You spoke about the other folks. These are people committed to those children who are learning English language. And let's recognize in San Diego County, over half of all our children are from Latino background, and that's only going to grow, and we need to lead in that area.
3: Yeah, it's perfect that you're um, providing leadership on that, and um, uh, while— Kids come from varied backgrounds, some of them very challenging. Um, I'm sure you'd agree that there, there are ways, just like you just described, that we can get better as um, as an education community at teaching them. And, and we should be continuously looking for that. I just want to – can can we turn back to Randy for a little bit? Because you mentioned something. You said that he got a, f- a four-year contract extension three and a half years ago. Does that mean that he his contract is expiring shortly? Yep meaning this June or
0: No 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 not this June. Uh, we're evaluating uh, Randy in June and then he has one more year after that and that's his terminal year.
1: So when you you recognize that there were some schools that are bad in the in the continue, in the traditional system there's bad charters there's bad uh, what would what if you were to approach a school district a school that is not performing well that parents are avoiding what are the first few things you do to to help it?
0: Well, first off you make sure you find out where the problem lies. I mean is it just test scores? I mean, test scores. I mean, I I believe in test scores, but I think we become too obsessed with them. So, how do you know if
1: a school is bad?
0: But I, how would I know? I would talk to the teachers. I would. Uh, 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 I'm a sociologist. The first thing I would do uh, was conduct surveys and in, uh, in focus groups. So, if they That's, say it's
1: fine, but you but you know anecdotally or whatever that it is a bad or a, has a bad Im- impression, is there any uh, independent, objective, empirical way to decide if a school is bad?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you can, look, <clears throat> you can look at test scores. I mean, if it happens to be a uh, uh, high school, you can look at graduation rates. Um, the state has a number of measures of the quality of education, not just test scores. Healthy student surveys, you can take a look at those. You can take a look at the, um, the, the cell debt test scores of kids on the language learners. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take a look and see if they're progressing. That basically it breaks down the first five years and after that. Yeah. Um, those are scores that I would take very seriously. But all the scores, we're not just going to focus on math and science. We need to talk to the teachers. We need to actually, I believe, in student evaluations as well as part of this process. We've seen from the Gates Foundation that student evaluations can be a very important indicator of the quality of education. We need to reach out to the parents to make sure that we get the feedback. That is the requirement currently for this new funding formula and the plans that we're supposed to be creating, the so,
3: so do you see the County Office of Education as having a role in helping the public understand what quality education looks like and helping families pick good schools, helping to make sure that we've got good schools in all our communities, or is that not an appropriate role for the County Office of Education? Oh, I
0: think, yes, of course. I mean, we do have that responsibility to reach out to the whole community, to educate them about the nature of of classes and, for example, what's going on with the Common Core, uh, what they can look for in, you know, in Primary care education, that's going to be a a big issue. Um, In all those areas, the the county has these huge amounts of responsibilities. Um, Unfortunately, the board itself has very little direct control over most of them. But the county itself has a large number of very important contributions we make, precisely the kind you talk about.
1: Well, the County Office of Education and the Board of Education are a big deal. And if you um, are filling out your ballot right now or if you're going to go to the polls in June just directly to vote, you should pay attention to this race. Four of the five board members of the Board of Education of the County Office of Education are up for re-election or for uh, an open seat. And uh, it's a very important discussion. This has been Greg Robinson, the president of the School Board of, uh, board of Education. And uh, thank you for accepting our invitation to come down here as opposed to your arrival. And uh, I appreciate uh, the time you've taken and good luck. Thank you. Well, that was interesting. Why do you think we should care about the County Office of Education? Is we're, the, we're good schools for all. That's our podcast. What, what should um, people care about when they go and make this decision uh, to vote for this board?
3: Well, uh, there's a lot of potential in the County of Office of Education, as exemplified, I think, by what I described as happening in the science area and what also is happening in the early learning department there. The County of Office of Education can provide a lot of um, innovation – energy can provide a lot of really good professional development for teachers can um, be a center that promotes excellence in our schools and it's doing that in some areas but not as much as it used to people tell me about the good old days before i moved to san diego Um, So it was maybe 10 to 15 years ago when our county office of education was a statewide center for research and development in education. They were getting grants from all over the country to do leading edge um, inquiries and curriculum development and training for teachers. And it really isn't playing that role as much any longer, but it could be again.
1: And all that, of course, is determined about who gets to be the superintendent and um and you know it's not just that sort of educational resource as well it's also a sort of budget hoc situation too so who who gets to be the leader of the county office of Education has a lot of influence on what kinds of oversight uh, that school districts have to. Uh, deal with when they when they go through their big decisions about across the board raises to construction bonds all kinds of things. So absolutely, this is uh, and this
3: next board, these people that we elect right now will be selecting the next superintendent because um, Superintendent Ward has said that he will retire during the terms of these next folks.
1: Yeah, so we wanted to know why Mark Powell would not come uh, to debate, so we called him. We're joined here with Mark Powell on the line. Mark, uh, tell us what. Why didn't you want to come in and debate? Well, the main reason
2: I didn't want to come in and debate was my my opponent. He's he's in. He's been he's been put in to this race and supported by the American Federation of Teachers. And uh, when I ran in two thousand twelve, this same union put out a hit piece on me, saying that. Um, I was fired from my job. I financed foreclosures, a bunch of lies. And, uh, Will Carless, one of your, one of your reporters, he's no longer there. He asked me a question. He goes, why did, why did your opponent continue to say you were fired? And I go, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, were you fired? I said, no, would you allow us to look in your personnel records at San Diego unified school district? said, sure, go ahead. And then the Voice of San Diego did a fact check. And on the fact fact check, that it was determined that this flyer was Huckster Propaganda, which is your harshest uh, rating. It means that they used deceptive marketing to gain an advantage over an opponent. And um, I felt that the same union would just cherry pick um, – and this is the American Federation of Teachers there – Union bosses would just cherry pick sound bites um, to use against me um, in another campaign full of false information and lies. I I figured it'd be better just to conduct an interview like this, just one-on-one, us us together, or two-on-one.
1: You know, I mean, sort of listening to a debate and pulling out statements is just kind of how politics works, right?
2: Well, not necessarily necessarily. I don't think politics work works properly when one side is using um, public funds and resources to make up stories and lies about another side who has who has not not the same capability to defend defend myself.
1: So, do you think so, are you, one of the things we asked um, uh, Greg Robinson about this attack, and he he said, "Well, look, I didn't have anything to do with that," are you, and and he's going to have to deal with people who are in. You know, teachers unions. Are you saying you know you just can never talk to a person who's in a teachers union?
2: No, no, I'm not saying that. But what I'd like to see is I'd like to see Greg Robinson um, denounce that that ad, or at least talk to the same people that supported him and get an answer as to why. I know it's four years ago. Why did you put out an ad of lies about Mark Powell when he was running for school board? Okay, that's what I, that's what I like to see. Why doesn't he ask that question to? The union bosses that are supporting him.
1: Okay, um, let's go to the, your actual reason for running. I, I got a um, mailer in in there uh, from the the Ch- Charter Schools Association from the state, and I asked uh, uh, Greg about this. But the the two top points of it: one is that you need to implement term limits for board members, and one thing I don't understand about that is, and this seems to be one of your big planks. I don't. Um, I, there hasn't been a board member that I can remember that's, that served uh, uh, anything that would be resembling a multiple terms or uh, even up to 10 years in, in the last few years. Why, why is this your top playing?
2: Well, I can tell you why. When Greg Robinson ran, he ran against John Witt in his own ballot statement verbatim. He puts this, The San Diego County Grand Jury has recommended term limits for election boards. 20 consecutive years in office for one board member is unacceptable. It's time for a fresh face. So he brought up term limits in his 2012 election, and he ran his campaign on that. Yet he did nothing at all to implement term limits because now that he's in he wants to be in there for as long as possible.
1: So you want two terms as a limit?
2: I want them yeah, exactly. I want I want the San Diego um County Board of Education to mimic what the San Diego City Council has, which is two year two four year term limits. They have it for city council members. They also have it for the mayor.
3: Mark, is that a decision that the County Board of Ed itself makes about itself or would that Would those term limits have to be imposed from somewhere else like the state?
1: It'd have to be a vote. Well,
2: I would would suspect that somebody on the board would have to bring it to the attention of the voters and the public to determine if the the parents, if the teachers, if the public feel that term limits for school boards are, are a good thing. Now, note that most other school boards have term limits. So San, San Diego County Office of Education and San Diego um, Unified are unique in that way.
1: All right. Well, uh, what do you think um, is the most important thing to to do on the board and, and, uh, and, and why you got to uh, throw Greg off of it?
2: Well, th- there's, there's a couple of things. The, one of the reasons why G- Greg shouldn't be on the board is because he's not qualified. Um, he's a, a sociology professor with no experience in K12 education um now I was a former school vice principal, a classroom teacher, a dean of students and uh as as Greg is a professor, and teaches soci- sociology. I teach at National University in their School of Education. I teach teachers and I teach them curriculum.
3: Greg is Greg is uh he teaches about the sociology of education and he was a substitute teacher in K12.
2: Well, a substitute teacher is so vastly different from being a full-time classroom teacher. Sure. A full-time classroom teacher, you're working day in and day out with parents, you have issues. And when you're a school administrator, you're dealing with, um, I, I, I dealt with uh, employee issues. I dealt with uh, teacher evaluations. I dealt with school safety. I'm a former reserve police officer. Um, I understand police courts and corrections very well. And the County Office of Education houses the, count, the uh, juvenile court and community school, uh, and um, and I think if you're also going to run um, a work in a, in a on a school board, you should probably have a little bit of business experience. Uh, I mean, I own and operate my own real estate brokerage, and um, I understand what it's like to run a business. Uh, so, um, just vastly more qualified than Greg I'm sure he's probably a nice guy and a good sociology teacher but uh, other than that I don't think he's qualified so it's, it's-
1: one of the, the the mailer that we got came from the charter schools Association we asked Greg about this and his point was well um, you know we've only had a few that have come up and the county Office has recommended the staff recommended that we didn't uh, approve the appeals that were uh, that were made to us about these charter schools. Uh, do you have uh, a different perspective or a more liberal interpretation of what you what you as the board should do when a charter school appeals to the board of education?
2: I would say that I don't know his interpretation may be a, a little bit off center because in, since 2011 they've had seven appeals and they've they've only granted one charter. But as far as, as I'm concerned, you know, charter schools are public schools. They're not private schools. Parents don't pay money for their children to attend charter schools. I'm sure that there's really good charter schools and there's really bad charter schools. I would give a, a fair um, evaluation if, in fact, an appeal does come to the county board. But what's more fascinating, Scott, is this. Let me, let me just share this with you. Let's look at a high-tech high school as an example. That's a charter school, all right? There is a, a, a list of people that want to get in this school. And if the school is that good, why is it that it cannot be replicated by other districts? I suspect it can.
3: What role would the County Board of Education have in, in that in the that. County
2: Board of Education provides support services for the smaller districts that, that may, may not have the facilities or, or the capabilities to, to house things like curriculum instruction. I'll give you an example. I attended, when I was working as a, a, a teacher with San Diego Unified School District, a curriculum and instruction academy at the County Office of Education. It was a year-long academy. I graduated from that academy and also attended something called a Future Administrators Academy. Even though I was with San Diego Unified School District, the county offered these kinds of of, of training sessions. And I think that those would be instrumental for the smaller districts who may be looking to replicate um, a a school of choice and uh, and put that into their regular public school system.
1: Mark Powell, uh, small business owner and uh, and former teacher. Uh, anything last point you want to make about why you, why you uh, wanted to run for this office?
2: Well, I I just got to tell you, um, you know, th- this. I have a history of community service. I'm I'm the president of a of a local rot- Rotary club here at, out in La Jolla, and um, I uh, revitalized the Claremont Town Council um, years ago. I've I've got this ongoing community service but one of the main reasons why why I want to run is I have kids in public school I have a vested interest in the education of our students I'm a graduate of San Diego Unified School District I went to public schools I want to do everything I can to help make public schools better for all students not just for select few for everyone and that's why I'm running
1: Mark Powell thank you for joining us Scott Lewis thank you thank you guys
3: Bye-bye.
1: Well, there you go. There's your choice. Um, There's, of course, if you live in North County or in other parts of the county, there's going to be other discussions, but that's kind of the same breakdown, really. Um, If you have any questions or have any feedback for any of these shows we've done at Good Schools for All, please uh, call in to 619-354-1085. And leave uh, uh, a long or a short clip on what you're experiencing and what you'd like to know. If it's especially about the election, we can uh, provide some immediate information about that. The County Board of Education is um, an election, of course, happening in June. And the t- if, a, if the if the winner of the primary gets more than 50% of the vote, they win automatically out.
3: So it's the June ballot that counts on those.
1: Um, other school districts, including San Diego Unified School District, the race that's going on, in particular, in the southeastern uh, section of the district, uh, between Lachey Collins and Sharon Whitehorse Payne, that race will move on, uh, guaranteed, to the November runoff, despite uh, the differential in the June primary. Uh, that's the top two finishers always move on to a citywide election. Then, um, the almost the entire city of San Diego gets to vote on every district, which is unique in some ways. So stay tuned. Obviously, November, we're going to do a lot of work to prepare for November. There's going to be a lot of discussion about that. Um, But for the county office, uh, that might be decisive in June. And that's another Good Schools for All.
3: Thanks for listening, everyone.